Hi there, and welcome to Open Minds, the show that is dedicated to reducing the stigma around mental illness. I'm Candy McNeil. I'm here today with Melissa Beacom at the University of Guelph, and I will let her introduce herself. Melissa, tell us a little bit about your education and your experience and, um, and your job now. Great. I'm uh, an occupational therapist, and I work at the Center for Students with Disabilities here at the University of Guelph as an uh, advisor for students with mental health issues. Um, my background, um, I started out working at Homewood and uh, supporting people who had uh, PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as um, people in immediate crisis. So uh, I got a lot of experience there and then decided that uh, I wanted to come back home to my uh, alma mater and University of Guelph and uh, provide help for students with uh, mental health issues here on campus. And so when did you do that? How long have you been with the university? Well, I've been here since 2001 on a part-time basis, so for um, 12 years. And for all of that time, have you been helping students who have mental health issues, or do you help people with other disabilities as well? There's a combination. It started out as a kind of an experimental position back in 2001. There wasn't anybody dedicated to helping people with mental health issues. It was kind of an emerging field. And uh, so I started out breaking that ground and um, started to advise students with mental health issues as well as students who had acquired brain injury because of my occupational therapy background. That seemed like a pretty good fit. Um, and eventually it became um, just a focus on mental health issues because there were so many students who were coming. Um, now I support students who have mental health issues, acquired brain injury, and um, students on the autism spectrum. And so what is it that drew you to wanting to help students who struggle with mental health issues? Well, for one, my job is always fascinating. <laughs> I always get to hear people's stories, and I always find it so interesting. Um, never do I find that I'm repeating myself, and uh, that is my own selfish, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, desire to, to be part of that. And um, I also find it quite um, a great role in that I feel like I can make a difference. So when a student comes to see me, I can help get them connected on campus with all the resources that I know about because of having been here for a while. And um, I help them access those resources. So if they're feeling uh, very anxious about maybe going to their program counseling office, I can go with them or I can make that introduction or do those kinds of things. And I love being able to be that kind of hub where people know that they can get an answer here and to be supported and helped. So walk me through that process. How does how do students get in contact with you in the first place? Well, all a student needs to do is come to our front desk and say they need some support. They're going to be asked to fill in some information about what their disability is, and um, they'll be asked to bring documentation. Initially, though, we're, we're quite welcome and opening. We don't want to turn anybody away because they don't have the proper documentation. We want to meet with them, hear their story, hear what kind of things they need, um, and then we'll work on that uh, kind of must-have kind of things later on. Um, so people can just say I need some support and they can come to see a counselor but what we provide is just a little bit different um, we provide some academic 
support. So let's say their medication is um, slowing down their thinking just a little bit and it's taking them longer to work through things. We'll help with resources like um, extra time for exams, um, potentially reducing the load and not having a financial hit for that, um, different things like that. Sometimes scholarships they require to be full-time, we can write a letter saying that, yeah, for the student, you know, those three courses is the equivalent of a full-time course load, things like that, so we get to open those doors. So your job and, and part of what the Center for Students with Disabilities does is helping students to be able to be successful at university, even while they're still struggling with something that might as you said, slow them down a little bit or impact them in a way that somebody who isn't struggling with a mental health issue um, would experience. Exactly. Um, some of the other things that we do is not only just those structural kind of things like helping with courses and those kinds of things. I'll sit down with a student and, you know, we'll map out their semester together and figure out where are those stressful periods going to be? What can we do to help anticipate that and kind of change that experience a little bit? I also get to meet with students over their whole career here if they need my support all the way through. Um, and so that kind of length of relationship is something you often don't get in the community, as you probably know, Candy. Um, and I, I feel it's quite a luxury that I really take advantage of because, at, you know, after two semesters, I'll start to notice some patterns and we can talk about that and say, okay, here's what we've noticed in the past. Have you noticed it too? What can we do this semester that might look a little bit different, get a different outcome, those kinds of things. So I also do some strategy work with students, maybe because of anxiety, they're struggling to get into a lab or a classroom or, you know, they've missed one because of that. And then I help them to break that down and, and figure out how do you get back in because that can be sometimes a true barrier for students so it's not only just accommodations that we put into place we also do some academic support Melissa you and the rest of the staff here are such an amazing resource for people who are struggling and yet my experience has been that sometimes students resist coming um, have you found that yourself that some people don't want to take advantage of the service that's available uh, definitely, most definitely. I think the name disability in our services doesn't um, always make it easy for students to come. I don't have a disability. And yet, for some students, it's a temporary need. Some students, it's a long-term need. For some students, it's just while they're at school, this is some support that they need. So, yeah, I think the term disability sometimes is offsetting for some students. Also, I hear a lot of students who say, I tried to do it on my own. Um, I, I had some support in high school, but this time I really wanted to try and go it alone. Um, I, I'm not sure what's happening there in terms of it, whether it be pride or fear of stigma. I'm not sure, but I do hear that. One trend, though, that I have noticed, Candy, is that um, over the years that I've been in this position, we used to get very few students who would um, come forth at the very beginning of a semester. So let's say first-year students coming in September. We'd have, you know a handful, whereas the students with learning disabilities, they'd have hundreds. Um, and so there was a real difference. And as our service has grown, um, we're noticing now that we have just as, uh, quite a few students coming out right from the very beginning. So accessing those supports 
even from the get-go. Um, and that's a huge change, and I think, in the use of our service. Now, certainly we still get students who come in through the semester going, oh, I, did, I thought I could do this, but I need some help, or I didn't know that this was here. I didn't know this was for me. Um, I think the name disability, sometimes people think of physical disabilities or learning disabilities, and they forget that we're also here to support students who have mental health issues. In fact, the center does support those students as well. If someone has a physical disability or a learning disability, this is also the place for them. And you're right um, that not everybody thinks of their really intense anxiety or their depression as um, a disability and something that is worthy of this kind of treatment. Any idea what it would take to start changing minds about that? What a hard question. I think... Like I was saying, I think I have noticed a bit of a, a switch in that. But it's often a conversation that I'll have with students who are quite reticent uh, to accepting help. Often what I'll do is I'll, I'll, place, I'll normalize it because, you know what, a lot of students use our service. So I'll say, you know, there are four of us here who are supporting students with mental health issues. There are a lot of people who um, are in similar situations and need that kind of help. Sometimes I also make that comparison um, to a physical disability where, you know, um, you wouldn't hesitate to, you know, if you've uh, had an injury, let's say, in your writing dominant hand, you wouldn't hesitate to go and get help in order to write an exam. How is it different? that, you know, because of the source, the result is the same. You need more time for exams, potentially, right? Um, so I try and help them to see that it's no different than a physical illness or, you know, um, the, the need for it is no different. The source of it uh, is where people struggle with um, accepting. I think that that is just as valid. I mean, sometimes it's so much easier if somebody said, you have cancer, and therefore these, this medication I'm giving you is going to tire you out. So you're only going to have this amount of energy. I think students don't hesitate then to say, oh, okay, I better get some support. I got to tell my profs. I'm going to, you know. And yet when we say the same things are happening because of a mental health issue, you're fatigued, you're not thinking clearly, you're going to need some more time, those kinds of things. For some reason, with the mental health issue, some people have difficulty legitimizing that. That's exactly what I've found in my private practice. And sometimes when I am referring someone on and saying, like, I think these are really services that would benefit you, the kinds of responses I get are either that people will feel somehow like they're cheating the system if they get extra time on an exam or they get someone to help them with notes, um, or they will feel fearful that uh, whoever they talk to about it, profs, roommates, a counselor, will think they're faking it. Um, have you experienced that when students come in having those kinds of concerns? And if so, what do you say to them about it? Well, just this week, I had a student come in and was talking about, I, I, I feel like I can't, I don't, if I, if I don't have um, a need for the extra time um, because I didn't have a panic attack during the exam, then I don't need the extra time and I should stop at the same time everybody else because otherwise it's unfair. Meanwhile, you know, what I did was I talked to the student about, well, how much more time does it take for you to read 
through that exam and to focus your mind on it. How many relaxation techniques are you needing to use during that exam? This is why you have the extra time. So I really just point out what is there for me very logically. Um, and the rationale is there. I also let them know I wouldn't put these things in place um, if I didn't have a, a, a good rationale. It's not just that I'm a nice person. It's that I have reason to do this. Although, in fact, you are a very nice person. <laughs> um, but I think that's a great point, right? So, so you're doing that not just because a student says so, but because you really think this will benefit you. This will level the playing field for you with other students who maybe aren't struggling with this. Is that fair to say? I have that conversation multiple times, especially in September, um, where I'm meeting a lot of new students who are struggling with that idea of accepting some support, uh, especially uh, some academic support. It amazes me how many students are very reticent about um, accepting any kind of accommodation and want to kind of do it, but know that I'm there just in case, but they want to do it without accommodation. And what I try and help them to understand is that it's not that I'm putting you at an advantage. It's that we're trying to take away that disadvantage that the thinking that you have to go through um, puts you at. Uh, you know, all the work you have to do to get into that lab, for example. You know, um, you have to work your way through a whole strategy and you've had to meet with a counselor to do that. And, you know, you've had to put a lot of energy towards that. That's energy that other students are maybe putting towards their work. So we need to compensate for that in other ways, potentially getting more time for a certain assignment that you might not have had time to do because you were doing all that other stuff. Sometimes, too, I find it really hard that people think, I've got to do this university thing in four years. That's the way it's supposed to be done. I, I do five courses per semester, and that's it. That's the way it's done. And I, I would love to see the stats on this. I, I think it's more typically done in a very unique way to that person. Um, I, I, it's the rare situation where you hear somebody go, five courses, summer off, five courses, you know, fall, winter, five courses, summer off. That is the rare situation. So um, trying to get students to take a reduced course load when it matches what they also have to do outside of school. So go to therapy, perhaps, um, you know, take medication that changes their sleep cycle or doesn't allow them to get up as early in the morning, you know, and we sometimes you have to compensate for those things. So um, reducing the load is sometimes the way to do that. And I find students very reticent to doing that. They're also worried about how they'll look in grad school. Um, how am I going to explain this? You know, how will I, um, they're going to look at somebody else before me um, because I've had to do it this way. I've heard a lot of that. And uh, I think it's actually um, leads them to making decisions that maybe aren't the best for them. And so what do you say to people? Because that is a, well, some students would say that's a legitimate concern. I need every advantage possible to get into the grad school that I want. And how is it going to look that I took reduced courses? Or is it going to show up that I had accommodations and I got extra time to do exams or I had a note taker? How do you respond to those uh, concerns from a student or their parent or um, whomever? I think, Candy, that... Um I can't promise that um, other programs aren't going to, you know, uh, be, uh, express prejudice. However, there are mechanisms in place that if that if you suspect that that is the case, that you could address it. That's not ideal. I think that um, the other thing that I, I've done is I've called to um, one example is med school. I have a lot of students who want to go to med school. And so they feel like they have to excel, take all these courses, all those kinds of things. 
um, in a full-time course and, and that kind of thing. So I called all the med schools and found out from each of them, do you require a full-time course load, the, all the students to take it? And uh, I think it was only one school that came back. Um, the, two of them had, had some kind of issue around full-time course loads, but the majority of them did not. And I was so pleasantly surprised that I could share that information with my students. So what I recommend is that students do the research before they start to worry. Um, and I think... Ultimately, a lot of programs are just looking at, you know, the last 20 courses, for example, and they want to see your grades. So the best thing you can do for yourself is to perform to the best of your ability. Also, across Ontario, every university has a centre like ours. They also have human rights um, offices. And so there are avenues that students can take, and hopefully we'll start to see some big changes. I have other students who I know who've been admitted into programs and put a letter in that they have a disability, and this is the way they've accommodated themselves and how they're proactive about it, and they've gotten into those programs. So I guess what I lay out for students is that there are they're, what they're anticipating may or may not be the case. Um, and what I think I do know the case is that grades grades are, are important. And so what you can do to do the best you can do is probably to the best of your... that That's probably going to do you better in the long run. I think also I find students making those decisions in their very first semester and really limiting themselves, having crises, having to drop out. And I guess from my perspective, it seems so much better to take care of yourself and to make those decisions that are going to help you to be the healthiest you can be right from the get-go um, so I also often tell students to if they're really worried about a specific program why not call the center like ours at that school and find out you know I'm applying to this school I I'm wondering if I should disclose disability or not and they'll usually have a sense of how about you do it this way this would probably be to your best advantage the other piece I need to say about um, graduate schools and those kinds of things is that um, the LSATs, the MCAT, all of them um, have a, a, a way of accommodating students who need extra time, and mental health is one of those reasons. So it is legitimized. I wonder how many people don't even know that, because as you say it, I'm realizing I don't know that, and I have many clients who have taken both the LSATs and the MCATs, and um, I'm sure they didn't request accommodations, and wonder if that would have made a difference, right? That it meant that their true ability could have shown through had they had some accommodations, as opposed to something that is diminished. I know that students are sometimes worried that um, it's going to be a prof who doesn't believe them or who will um, think or say exactly the kinds of things you just said, like, oh, can't you just push through it? You know, it's just one paper, that kind of thing. Um, are they right to be worried about that? Or in your experience, when you have tried to talk with profs or program counselors, do you find that they're understanding better the impact of mental illness or is it kind of an uphill battle with them? That's a really interesting question, Candy, because um, often I don't disclose what the nature of the disability is when I'm working on accommodations for a student. Um, what I end up doing is just saying the student is experiencing, say, a flare-up in symptoms of their disability, um, and therefore, you know, 
make my request. Um, and so I don't often disclose, but what I have noticed is that students um, are getting more comfortable with disclosing information to professors and getting a positive response. So I more often hear about the profs who were very supportive and helpful as opposed to those who made lives more difficult. So I think that that's more the exception um, than the rule. So what I've found is that profs generally, I tend to work on accommodations um, and often the profs are very supportive and come back with excellent ideas as to how to support. And in fact, even the course outlines the way that courses are now being structured, often sometimes the flexibility that we used to have to ask for in the past is actually being built in to the courses themselves, which is really a, a great a great development. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One other thing you mentioned there, which I wouldn't have thought to ask about, um, but is such an important point, is that you don't necessarily have to disclose uh, the nature of your struggle. Um, overall, my hope is that people won't feel shamed and they won't feel like they have to keep things secret. But I do also think that we have the right to privacy and to choose who you share with. And so I wonder if people would also feel more comfortable accessing your services if they knew they didn't tell their, have to tell their whole life story to every prof or whatever. And in fact, I find that um, when I share about my confidentiality and what things I can talk about and what I can't, that's part of my conversation in the first meeting with a student. So we'll talk about, you know, how much information do you want me to share. You can put limits on that as a student. Um, but certainly, I don't feel it necessary to disclose the nature of the disability. Um, and I, that's true of across the board. So um, students with learning disabilities, we don't disclose. Um, basically, we just say this is this is a need. It's arising from this, this uh, reason rather than giving a diagnosis. So the diagnosis becomes less important. And it's more important about what features of that um, illness or disability need to be accommodated. So I think we've built up a reputation on campus where we are trusted in making that assessment and making those requests based on solid foundation. You mentioned before that there are a number of resources that you can help students um, connect with and part of the goal of this show is to, to bring awareness and help people feel like they can walk through the door. Um, you've already said that it's not a lot to come in. You can just come to the front desk and say, um, I'm needing some support and start talking there. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row, right? That first time when you come in. Um, once somebody's been working with you for a year or two or one of the other counselors here, um, what can they expect at that point? What what happens to keep the process going if it turns out they need it, let's say, for their entire university career or for a couple years of their university career? Well, basically, they come in each semester, tell me they need me, and uh, we put in place accommodation. So um, as long as their documentation is up to date and supports that, um, sometimes we'll think in initially it might be a temporary measure. So we'll put in place supports for one or two semesters. When that time is starting to come up, what I'll usually do is have a conversation with the student and just say, you know, your documentation supports you to here. 
um, I'm seeing that, you know, you're still experiencing quite a few symptoms. Um, um, what are you thinking? You know, would you like to have support next semester? And if that's the case, then I give them a new form to take to their doctor and they get it filled out. And um, often we have a way that doctors can communicate with us. So we have um, students can say that they have a permanent disability um, and there's funding related to that, which is why they would ask for that designation. Um, there's a continual option. So we don't know exactly how long, but we know that it's going to be continuing throughout the student's university career. With mental health issues, it's so hard to tell, you know, how long this is going to be impacting a student. And then we have a temporary um, use, therapeutic use of our service. So, you know, I've just experienced a panic attack for the first time. I, I'm, I'm in crisis here. I need some support. We can put in support, place some temporary one or two semester support in order to help students while they're accessing things like um, Kathy Summers' workshops through the um, high performance uh, clinic. So things like that, that while they're doing that work, while they're seeing a counselor, we'll support them with some academic supports just on a temporary basis. And when they get their feet back under them, then they can they can not access our service, or if it flares up again, they get new documentation and come on back in. That's great, Melissa. I am I'm aware that some of our listeners may not be students here at the university, and so also thinking about how this applies to people outside of here. Um, so that might be high school students, for example, who are struggling, or parents um, of kids who you know seem to to have some issues. Um, do you have thoughts? kind of generally about accessing mental health services in the community or outside of a university campus? We're a bit in a bubble here, um, Candy. I think, uh, as you know, um, it, we're, kind of, we're very lucky, um, and I, I hope that students do recognize that there are services here for you and that please do use them. Um, when you get outside in the bigger community, um, certainly there are supports, and I know things are in the works to uh, improve the access to supports um, in the community. And certainly, you know, if things are in a crisis, Emerge is, is, is the place to start that connection. If things are more long-term and, you, you know, you need some help but not so immediately, um, there's a lot of private therapists that people can get in contact with under counseling in the in the phone book or online. They can look that up. But the other thing is there's also supports through Canadian Mental Health Association, and that's a good place. They have a, a, a storefront downtown um, that pe they welcome people into, and we'll help people to get connected with the right resources. So I think those are good um, access points. That office is actually on the ground floor of the building where my office is, so I am very familiar with them. Um, Melissa, have you had it happen where um, a student isn't aware until they get to school that they're having a mental health issue and they're struggling with how to tell their family back home? Um, and if so, do you have any advice about how students start to share that information with family members or, or friends or roommates here on campus? That's actually a pretty typical scenario that you just drew, that a lot of people are experiencing mental health issues for the very first time. Sometimes people start with psychosis while here at university, that's the age at which those first episodes of, of psychosis often can begin. Um, onset of bipolar disorder can often begin at this age. So I do see a lot of students struggling for the very first time. And um, often parents who who have some connection, know that something is going on. It's been my experience, and they just want 
support and help for their for their son or daughter. Um, there are um, great websites around how to communicate with a family member and with families and friends. And I think um, the Canadian Mental Health Association has some really great family and friends information sites, what's helpful, what isn't um, kind of information, um, just in case even somebody is suspecting that um, a loved one is, is starting to experience a mental health issue and how to get some support for them. So certainly um, starting to talk to roommates and friends, I it, sometimes that can be a real toughie. We have some support groups here that help students to know that they're not alone. Sometimes through it's through those peer support groups that people figure out how do I how do I say this? How do I talk about this? For example, we have a bipolar support group that um, students who all students who have bipolar disorder can talk about. You know what was that like? What 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 kind of things? I'm just struggling with talking with you know my mom or my dad about this. How do I do that? And they get peer support. So people who've been through it, um, people who've had that lived experience and can share. Do you think there's any reason to believe that people who have mental health struggles um, can't be successful in life, in careers, in um, the roles that anybody else would have? I think it would be naive to say that it won't have an impact and I also believe that um, those roles are still open uh, and please, yes, I think people can, just like anybody else, um, people all go through struggles in their lives, right? Um, same with people with mental health issues. I think also I get the challenge sometimes, well, if you get accommodated at university, how is that going to pan out in real life? Well, for one, I don't think that the bubble that we have here actually emulates real life. Um, so, you know, we don't work 24-7 and like students do. And we also um, don't have those same deadlines that students do. I think also people tend to choose that which is good for them, um, especially with some support. So I think when people are, are actively thinking about how do I accommodate myself, I think that people can do whatever it is that they desire and that they have the skill for. So I don't think mental health issues need to hold them back. Melissa, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about all of this. I do have a number of clients personally who have used the services of the Center for Students with Disability through the years, and um, that has been such a positive experience for them and for so many meant that they really could have a successful university experience. Um, so I think what you all do here is a very, very valuable service, and I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me about it. Thank you for taking on this project, Candy. I, I love to hear us talking more about mental health and um, how we can all be accommodating as well as understanding um, about what people are going through. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts or comments about the show or any suggestions you have for topics you'd like me to cover on upcoming shows. Please send those to my email at openminds at cfru.ca. That's openminds with an S at cfru.ca. Uh, my usual tiny disclaimer before I go that I probably won't be able to respond to most emails, um, but I will definitely read them. So thanks for sending. And I definitely won't respond to any emails that are asking for help or advice with a specific mental health problem. For those, I want to strongly encourage you to put aside your fear of stigma and see your doctor, go to your nearest emergency room, or call your local crisis hotline.
Candy McNeil. Thank you so much for listening, and please join me next week for another illuminating interview here on Open Minds.